Marine Corps Code of Conduct and the King James Bible. I hate snakes, Jock! I hate them! And may the Christian Lord guide my hand against your Roman popery! And they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! We're on a mission from God. Entitled you want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Maybe we should chug on over to Mamby Pamby Land where maybe we can find some self-confidence for you, you jackwagon! Coming to you live from his padded cell high atop Bethel Church, the most heralded, the most despised talk show in all of human history. This is the talk show Hell Hates. This is Pastor Mike Online. And here we are coming to you live from our top secret broadcasting bunker here at Area 52. High atop Bethel Church. This is the talk show Hell Hates. The more you listen, the more you know why. Good to be with you today. We had a fantastic time in uh, Des Moines, Iowa, with uh, our good friends at Southwest Radio. Um, They're no longer in the Southwest anymore. They moved to Tennessee. But anyway, we had a good good time with them and and a a really receptive uh, crowd. You folks up in Iowa, God bless you guys. They are harvesting corn and they are harvesting soybeans up there. It, it's been a drought year, very little rain, and I was I was pretty uh, pretty put back or stunned at the the height of the corn stalks. They're not nowhere near as high as they have been in previous years, and it just you can just tell there's not been much rain up there at all. I'm not sure how they um how they deal with that anymore. I'm sure they have crop insurance and all types of things that our forefathers didn't have back in the uh in the dust bowl days. Um my grandfather, my dad's dad grew up on a sharecropper uh farm. And if you don't know what sharecropping is, um uh the a farmer gets into an agreement with a bank and he has you know 40 acres or 80 acres or whatever his mule can plow and um and so they they come to an arrangement where the bank will loan the farmer money to live on not much and so the farmer will will farm the land. He'll raise the crop, whether it's cotton or corn or whatever, and uh, or wheat. And at the end of the season, when the harvest time comes in, then the crop is shared between the bank gets their share and the farmer gets his share. Usually, it's not a good share. Uh, but that's the way it was done uh, for years, and that system just kind of caved in on itself when the Dust Bowl hit uh, back in the 30s, the Depression, and uh, man, it was a bad time. My grandfather, like I said, was a grew up on a sharecropper's farm with, um, I think, 10 brothers, two sisters, 
Go figure. But they were all farmhands, every one of them. And uh, when I was a teenager, about 13 years old, I met uh, the cousin, the first cousin of my grandfather, who uh, also was a hoggard, and um, similar situation. Their family was a large family, boys and girls, and uh, they always helped one another. They swapped work, they call it. If they if they needed a well dug, then they'd come over and help them dig a well. If they you know whoever needed whatever, uh, the families joined in together, and uh, they got through. They got through. They made it through. We are of a uh, of a different type of people now. We have uh, invested so much of our time, our effort, our money, our resources on technology and everything else to get us by. And uh, nothing, nothing sinful about that, nothing wrong about that, except for the fact that at some point technology may fail or technology take over. A uh, pastor down in uh, Fort uh, Smith, Arkansas, sent me a, um, an article of a, <laughs> naturally, it would be a Methodist, uh, United Methodist pastor, who let ChatGPT conduct his church service. He asked ChatGPT, this a artificial intelligence system, to come up with a, with a worship hymn to worship God with. I'm not making this up. And then... Um, help explain, uh, you know, certain points of doctrine and, you know, part of the sermon. And I'm like, okay, another lazy preacher who just found another way to get out of, of studying the Bible. Just, just ask the computer to write a sermon for you so you can stand up there and read the thing. And you don't have to put any work into it. You don't have to pay anybody to do it. The computer's going to do it for you. People, <sighs> Armageddon is coming. Don't you know? Armageddon is coming. Christ is going to come down, and he's right taking down names of people that ain't acting right. So the question is, are you right with God? That's the big question today. Um, this idea, just I've got several things People have sent me emails, and and uh, God bless all you people. I've I've been reading your emails, uh, PastorMikeOnline at gmail.com, and you're sending me paranormal stories. I've been reading those. Very, uh, very interesting things going on that some people have taken note of, and um, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read those today online uh, because something else just kind of took over what I was going to talk about today. Uh, and for whatever reason, maybe somebody out there just needs a good a good lesson on this. Uh, but I will get back to reading those stories again. The paranormal, uh, supernatural, UFO, Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, ghosts, all of that stuff goes all together in one big bowl of chili or soup or stew. And um, 
it's it's worth talking about because the, this is the operation of our enemy. Our enemy is Satan. Our enemy is all of the devils that are in league with him. We are wrestling against these principalities and these powers and these rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. And we are, we are fighting the good fight of faith. We are fighting a fight to maintain our faith. That is as, that, that's the most important battle to fight. Will you still believe what you believe now in 10 years from now? I, I know somebody that um, he is just, uh, let me check this here, make sure everything's, all right, good deal. All right, um, let me, you know what, let me make an announcement uh, while I'm thinking about it. I've, I'm, I'm practicing my Canadian accent. Let me, let me, uh, let me uh, talk about something, about something. Um, we are going to be in... Indiana, we do this every year. Where's my calendar? I can't get a calendar up. Let me pull my phone out here. Um, we're going to be in Indiana, and we usually do this in Delphi, but we're changing locations this year, and we're kind of changing our strategy just a little bit so that maybe we can attract a crowd. We're going to be in um, Indiana, October 16th, 17th, and 18th, and watch for an announcement on the location of those meetings. Um, it's going to be in Lafayette, Indiana, rather than Delphi, Indiana, which they're, they're not too far away from each other, about 15, 20 miles, something like that. And um, so anyway, the, the focus... Uh, and the advertisements that we're placing in the Lafayette uh, newspapers is basically we're going to have a, a UFO Bible conference and um, in hopes to uh, gather some interest or draw some interest together. Uh, I know this sounds weird. I, I, I know. I get it. I, you know, I, I think differently than a lot of people and and, you know, I can't help that. I can't help what I am, you know, sort of uh, focused on or drawn to or whatever. But when I, when I see these, you know, UFO stories come up, I, I want to know what's going on. I want to see these videos. I want to see the latest pictures that people have taken. I want to know what Congress is doing about it and so on. I just watched a UFO documentary this morning that was produced, oh, probably about 20 some odd years ago, 25 years ago. Um, it was done by a British, uh, production company and, um, you know, a little bit more information than what I already have. Uh, but that's just an area of, of, of interest of mine. And I, I, like I say, if it's real and it has some form of, um, entanglement in this world, then God must be in charge of it. And if God's in charge of it, he wrote it down in his word. And the 
the blessing comes when you study the word and find these things out from the Bible that God has already seen what is going to happen. He has shared it with mankind. We have the opportunity to look into the word of God to find out exactly to the letter what's going on. And um, I, I think that it I think that these, uh, entities. I, I've been uh, I've been using the illustration of when I say aliens, think angels, because I'm going to say aliens a lot, and I don't want you to think that you know Marvin the Martian is going to come along going, "Where's the kaboom? There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom." I, I don't want you to think that when I say aliens, angels, evil angels, um. Fallen angels, familiar spirits, unclean spirits, seducing spirits, devils, gods with a little g, sons of God. That's what I mean by that. And um, so anyway, uh, the idea is to use something right now that has people's attention. And the subject of UFOs and the paranormal, It listen, the History Channel figured it out. Discovery Channel, all of these cable network channels figured out that they can uh, do paranormal stuff now, and people are like soaking in it, and they want to they they are looking for spirituality out in this world, but they're not looking at it in from the right source. They're not getting it from the Bible. They're chasing ghosts, they're chasing UFOs, they're chasing Bigfoot, they're chasing all kinds of uh, cryptid creatures and everything like that. No one's turning to the Bible. And I ask the question, are these people any less deserving of hearing the gospel than anybody else? The answer is no. They deserve to hear the gospel, whether they, and, and it's just the same as everybody else. You're going to have a, a very small number of people that are going to receive it. But the overwhelming majority are going to go, ah, that Bible, that Baptist UFO preacher guy, idiot. I, he makes me mad. Sorry. Anyway, so, uh, you know, I'll get back to that um, soon. All right. Now, the topic du jour um, is uh, based upon an a, a, I'm sort of going back to an incident that happened here uh, at this church in the last couple of years. I, I won't give, I won't be exact about uh, the situation I'm I'm referring to, uh, nor will I give out the names of of the people involved in this. But we had a situation um, recently in the last two to three years. I'll say that. Um, where a woman who was a member, a, an actual voted-in member of our church, um, she, um, her husband died of cancer. She was a widow. And there was a, a, another man that she got involved with and she, he started coming to church, 
and he liked me. He liked the way I preached and so on. Um, when it when they started talking about marriage, um, he kind of backed out of the relationship um, because uh, he had been through a couple of really bad marriages before where the women basically took him for everything he had. That's according to him, okay? And so now he's involved with a a member of our church, and um, when she brings up the word marriage or wedding, you know, he says, okay, I'm out. I, I'm not, I'm not going to get into another wedding where, you know, some woman, I'm going to end up divorcing her and she's going to take all my stuff away. You know, I'm getting too old for this. And so he backs out. So we don't see him for a while. But then a while later, he comes back in the scene. And I think, well, okay, maybe he's, you know, thought about it for a while and decided, you know, okay, well, I'll try it. Um, but what happened was they decided to go on a, an ocean cruise together. Now, what they should have done was either not go on the cruise or get married because, you know, people, and and I'm going to give you the scriptures for this, the marital vow, the, the marriage bond, the marriage vow is basically the foundation of civil society in this world. It is. And it is a reflection of Christ's relationship with his bride, the church of Jesus Christ, is what it is. And and I'll give you the scriptures. Basically, we're looking at the whole plan of God. And I I mean the, the number one plan and idea of God the Father is to... Go and find a wife for his son. That's what Abraham did with uh, his um, his servant. I think it was Eleazar. He said, Eleazar, put your hand on my thigh. I want you to make an oath. I want you to swear an oath that you're going to go out and you're not going to go out to uh, uh, all the uh, Canaanites or whoever else. I want you to go to our people. You're going to go find a wife for my son Isaac, you're come bringing her back here, and buddy, she better be a good one. Now you swear an oath that if you can't find one, if that you absolutely cannot find a girl for my son, then I'll I'll release you from it. But you swear an oath that if you find one, you come bringing her back, she better be the right one. So Eliezer does this, and in that you have a picture of what God did and, and said is not good that the man should be alone. And we'll read that here in a, in a minute. So what happened was they decided, they decided based upon 
his past bad experiences. And he has already told me, you understand now, he has already told me in, you know, to, in my office, he said, Michael, I'm not going to uh, tie myself down to another woman who is going to end up running off or running out on me and then taking everything that I've worked for all my life. And I said, well, I, you know, I can't blame you for that, you know. So what they decided to do was when they got on board the ship, they looked at each other, held hands, and according to them, they swore an oath. Now, here's the question. Is that a marriage? Is that a marriage? Now, as a matter of practice, I, I set a standard for what I personally will accept as marriage and what I won't accept as marriage based upon what I believe the scriptures are telling me. And, it, and we're dealing with issues that are not specifically just limited to marriage itself. We're dealing with issues that are related to when you make a vow or when you make a promise, when you uh, join yourself in a covenant with somebody else, with another party, and you break that vow or you break that oath or you break that covenant, there has to be some form of, of punishment or reparations or whatever. Um, you know, if you nowadays, you know, if you buy a car from somebody, um, a used car, because my goodness, we're trying to buy, we're trying to find a car for our son, a cheap car so we can go back and forth to work every day. Because cars right now are running sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars. I'm going good grief. Who can buy a car anymore? Thanks, Joe, for raising the price of everything. And so we're just looking for some kind of cheapo car that'll get him back and forth to work every day. And when you buy a car from somebody, you don't know what you're getting. You have no idea what you're getting. And once you, you know, the rule is let the buyer beware. You buy a car, you sign, the guy signs the title over to you. It's your property now. You pay the guy, you drive off with it. If the motor falls out in the middle of the interstate highway, too bad for you. Too bad for you. And so you ought to be, there There has to be some form of, you know, if, I, if I'm going to enter into an agreement with somebody, I want it written down. Who's, who's responsible for what? So several years ago, I had a, a couple from California uh, call our ministry, call our church, and ask if, they, if I would marry them. And I said, well, I, I, I'm, I'm honored. I, you know, I, I believe in marriage. I, sure, I'd love to do that for you guys. And they said, uh, you know, out here in California, California was one of the first states that 
that joined homosexual couples together. And they said, you know, the state of California has ruined what marriage is all about. And so we just, we're not going to get a marriage license. And I said, now, hold on a second. And let me explain to you how I explained it to them and how how I've explained it to other people. And some people agree with this and some people, they, I mean, fire comes out their ears and their nose and they, you know, they jump up and down and do karate kicks in the air and everything like that. And they're mad at me because I said this. But let me let me share with you why. I will not perform a wedding ceremony without a marriage license. Why I won't do it. I explained to them, I said, you know, you're going to, and I'm going to give you some scriptures here in a little bit. But I, exp- I explained to this couple, I said, I won't do a marriage without a, a marriage certificate, and here's why. Uh, number one, there are laws in the United States of America and in several states um, that are geared specifically toward um marriages that the state recognizes. Now, in the state of Missouri, let me give you an example. In the state of Missouri, if you try to um, cohabitate with a, with uh, a person for so many years and then try to say that that is a common law marriage, Missouri won't recognize it. Now, if you are in California, and California does recognize, um, you know, cohabitation of people together for so many years, then they designate that as a common law marriage. If you move from California to Missouri, Missouri then will recognize that as a marriage. It's a little confusing, but anyway, that's how it works. But if you if you are residing in the state of Missouri and you uh, try to uh, prove to the government that yours is a common law marriage, uh, Missouri says no. You you have to have a marriage license in order to prove that you're married because there are certain laws that apply only to married individuals that do not apply to people who are just cohabitating together. People are just living in the same apartment or same house or the same box or whatever, wherever they're living. It doesn't apply to them. There are tax laws that are geared toward, I mean, when you fill out your, your tax return information at the end of every year, you have the option of filing as single or filing as married, filing jointly, or you are married filing singly. So you are married or you're not married. But if you say to the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service, that you are legally married and that the state that you live in recognizes your uh, arrangement that you have with your spouse as a legally identified marriage, but you can't prove it by the state's um, 
demands, then you cannot take advantage of whatever the tax laws give to those who are married. So let me explain it like this. Let's say that you want to get married, but you don't want a government recognition of that marriage. Because, because in your mind, the government's corrupt, and so that just, that just dirties what marriage is all about. No, it, listen, you need to forget about what everybody, the politics of the people in government when it comes to marriage. You need to forget about that. They can't dirty your marriage. Only you can do that. You can dirty your marriage. You can, you can stain your marriage with your actions and activities and wrongdoings and so on. But just because the government recognizes two men as being married, that has no effect. You know, when, when the state of Missouri, I, I mean, I, I, I voted for this. 80% of the people of the state of Missouri about 20 years ago voted to change the Missouri Constitution that said that marriage is between one man and one woman only, period, the end. And then, of course, Obama gets in office and he and he shovels all these people into the Supreme Court. They overturn all these states that did that, went out the door. And so now what the people voted on in the state of Missouri doesn't matter. The Supreme Court said... Marriage is whatever people think marriage is, which is stupid. But anyway, uh, back to this. So you want to you want to cohabitate with somebody means you're going to join not only your your physical being together. You're going to join um, your life. With your spouse's life, you're going to bring, if you have children from another marriage or you have children out of wedlock, you bring them in. They're going to bring them in. Uh, You're going to bring your property. She's going to bring her property. Uh, You're going to live in a designated house and so on. There has to be laws that govern all of that. Because what happens when these two people say, I hate your guts. I don't know what I ever saw in you. You're an idiot. I'm getting out of here. What happens when that happens? Because of the nature of human beings to exploit whatever it is that we can exploit. They'll want to take more away from their quote-unquote former spouse than what they should take. So let's let's say that um, let's say that a, a couple gets married back in 1985, 1985. Okay, and they they both work, you know, relatively um, middle income jobs, but then all of a sudden, one of the persons in the marriage hits it big with the lottery or uh, comes up with some idea and all of a sudden now he is uh, boosted to the rank of company vice president and he's making a, you know $3 million a year, so on and so on and so on. After a while, if this guy 
who's making $3 million a year when, when they got married, they were making minimum wage. This guy's making $3 million a year. The law says that the spouse supported him during that time of his transitioning from a you know a, a middle middle class to the upper class and a judge will look at that and say this spouse helped you get to that position by supporting your life and cooking your meals and doing all the things that a that a spouse does for a partner and you want to dissolve the marriage, well, she has the right to at least half of the, or a third or whatever of the stuff that you now own together. You own it jointly. There has to be laws that govern this. So you decide that you're not going to you're going to get married you're going to have some preacher say words over you but you're not going to fill out a marriage certificate so when you go to the bank the banks want to know whether or not you're married or not the the IRS when you fill out your tax returns the tax your your IRS wants to know whether you're legally married or not insurance companies um healthcare Health care decisions can be made by spouses and so on in certain states and certain situations that somebody just off the street can't make. You have, but you have to prove that you're legally married. And so, the Bible has a has a has a. Commandment to us. Let me see if I can pull that up here. I I just now thought of this. It's based on the word honest. Yes, Romans twelve seventeen, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. So. You get married, you don't have a uh, marriage certificate because you said the government is the government shouldn't be involved in the marriage business. Well, the government really isn't telling, and I've had people say this, I don't think the government has a right to tell people who they can marry and who they can't marry. They're not. They're not. All they're doing is writing down on a piece of legal paper that this person and this person join themselves in a covenant, a contract. Now, in the law, a written contract always overrides a verbal contract. Always. All you have to do to find this out is watch Judge Judy. Okay? I used to go home every day and watch Judge Judy for an hour every day. And she always said this. She said, see this piece of paper here? The contract is bound and it stops where the edges of this paper stop. So if you have a written contract and then you come to an oral agreement 
after the written contract, the oral agreement is null and void as soon as you speak it. An oral contract cannot change the conditions of a written contract. You you listen to me primarily because we stick with one Bible, the King James Version. And we have this idea that only the things that are written in Scripture are trustworthy to... um, as far as the knowledge that we attain of who God is, what God does, what God will allow, what God won't allow, and who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. All of that is contained in the written scriptures. I won't accept somebody coming in to my church saying, Pastor Mike, I just had a revelation from God last night. God showed up in my room. He appeared to me. And told me, yada, yada, yada. And uh, that is the word of God. I'm telling you, Jesus was right there in my room. I bowed and wept and cried and he lifted me up. And he told me to tell you this. I'm going to say, I'm not listening. I'm not listening. I can't even hear you. I'm not going to listen to it. Because if it's not in scripture, then it's not God. Now, we accept that, and we have, a, we have a, a Latin phrase for it called sola scriptura, only scripture, only scripture. Popes and cardinals try to come up with all these things that they say God says, but God says, I didn't say that. That's Ezekiel 13, Ezekiel uh, 34, I believe. Um, I may be wrong on that, but anyway... It's the untempered mortar thing where God said, you said I said that, but I didn't say that. Well, how do we know you didn't say it? Well, is it written down anywhere? No, then I didn't say it. So scripture, the things that we know about God and believe about God are written written down for us. Contracts should always be written down contracts. I would not purchase any major purchase on just a a verbal oath or a verbal contract alone. I wouldn't do it. So anyway, you get married without a marriage license and you tell the IRS you're filling out your tax forms and you want to say that you're married, but... You can't prove you're married because you don't have a marriage license that's on file with the county clerk uh, of your particular county that you live in. You can't prove it. What that is is called fraud. You're claiming a legal status, but the state of I know the state of Missouri. I don't know other states. I know the state of Missouri. The state of Missouri says that if you tried to do a common law thing in Missouri, it's not recognized. You're just two people living together. 
friends with benefits, they call it. And you want to play house, but then you get mad at each other because you were looking at some other girl and she was looking at some other guy or some other girl. And jealousy enters in and you now you're mad at each other and you split up. Well, now you've got a mess here because now we have children involved. We have... Um, we have money involved. We have property involved. And the two people who did not want a piece of paper saying that they were legally married now are demanding legal papers from the courts saying that they have rights to this property and they have rights to this child and they have rights to this amount of money and so on. No one... No one would ever go to a judge and say, Judge, I don't need you to write it down. Just say it. If you say it, then it's as good as gold. Just tell me that I can get half of the stuff and, and it'll be fine. Just, just say it out loud and everybody here will witness it and that'll be good enough. Nobody does that. No court does that either. They write it down. When you walk into a courtroom, you are going to hear the judge say, we are on the record for case number blankety blankety blank in the divorce proceeding of Jones versus Jones. Now you want paper. Now you want it written down. But when you joined together, you said, I don't think the government should tell me who, who I can marry and who I can't marry. The government doesn't tell you who you can marry, who you can't marry. They're not telling you anything. They're just simply writing it down that you got married. Okay? So, let's look at the Scripture. Let's look at how important marriage is. It's, I'm telling you, it is everything that God has planned for his son and mankind. It's everything. All right, here we go. Ready? Verses of scripture in five, four, three, two, one. Genesis chapter two. And the Lord God said, he said it. How do we know he said it? It's written down. It is not good that the man should be alone. Pretty simple, isn't it, guys? We're not good left to ourselves, are we? No, we're not. I will make and help meet for him. Now, it's, the word is not help meet. People make that into one word. It's not one word. It's two different words. I will make and help meet for him. The Webster's 1828 definition of that word is suitable, proper, qualified, as to use or purpose. Which pretty much goes against 
the idea of two women or two men. Because the purpose of marriage is to provide stability in civilization for this for this planet for this world stability because you're going to bring children into the world it it all has to do isn't it something now that we have this major major thing that God has formed that God has put together to rule the entire Beyond the universe of everything, God's put together the idea of a man and a woman to rule. And he says here, I will make an help meet for him. That, that, that person and centers around, or joining together that person, centers around what I will refer to as the marital act. And those of you who are married know what I'm talking about. Some of you who are not married know what I'm talking about, but you know what I'm talking about. Now in Genesis 2, verse 20, And Adam gave names to all the cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an help, meat, suitable, proper, qualified for him. In other words, nope, just having a dog don't cut it. Just having a monkey. Nah, that's not good enough either. Can't talk to the monkey. The monkey won't talk back to me. Uh, certainly don't want a skunk around. Well, maybe I should maybe I should try an elephant. No, nope, the elephant's too big. Takes up the whole bed. So we gotta we gotta find we gotta find somebody, God, that's suitable for me. It's at, this is what Adam's saying. I I gotta need help down here. And I, I just I need I need somebody that just that's kind of like me, only a little different. And God says, I got the right thing for you. Okay? Go to sleep. So, and the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman. And Brought her unto the man. This, folks, cannot be ignored. God, God caused Adam to sleep. God, right here, God made a woman and brought her unto the man. In any marriage there is the idea that it should be sanctioned by god and i think it's absolutely amazing whereby all of the all of the uh the very very extremely intelligent scientists of the world who are atheist and agnostic toward God. They don't believe in God. They don't want to believe in God. They refuse to believe in God. They refuse to believe that God put man on this earth. God created man, and God put man and woman on this earth. The way the Bible says, they refuse to believe 
any of that whatsoever. And yet, and, and they say that man evolved from lower forms to higher form all by himself, all the nature, nature just did what nature does. And it just all happened by all these happy accidents over millions and millions of years of time. But that all of a sudden now, every civilization on the planet has some form of marriage vows between a man a male, and a woman, a female. They all do. All of them do. And none of them, none of them in ancient history had a form of marital contract and marital ceremony and marriage uh, you know, rituals that involved two men or two women. Or one man and... Two women and one man, or one man and two men and one woman, or one man, one woman, one man, one gorilla. It's always one man, one woman, period, the end. It just happened that way. Man must have evolved and woke up one day and said, you know what, we need to, we need to kind of restrict how we, you know, we need, to, we need to put laws and guidelines on that. Nature wouldn't do that. God would. So, we, we understand that there is a second Adam, right? The second Adam is Christ. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. The Hebrew, I like the, uh, I look at the Hebrew every now and then, and it's neat because it has the word ish for man and isha for woman. She shall be called isha because she was taken out of ish. I like that. That's neat. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. See? It's automatic. I mean, it's just automatic that a child is born out of the union of a father and a mother. I mean, we take this for granted, but now we don't have the luxury of taking anything for granted anymore because people are are stretching the definitions of what gender is and and what um, marriage is. They're stretching it. They're twisting it. They're making it into things that it never was intended to be. They're doing that. Um, Man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And... Basically, that's what happens. Bada boom, bada bing. Man, 23 chromosomes. Woman, 23 chromosomes. Put them in the oven together and turn it on nine months. And when the bell rings, ding, then the bun in the oven is done. And you have one child who is a perfect mixture of the man and the woman together. 
Boom. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. Cleave unto, not cleave unto a woman. It doesn't say a woman. Because some people have the idea that whenever two people perform the marital act, that means they're married. No, it doesn't. God specifically had Adam say, the man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. Wife is a legal designation. It's a legal term. So this couple in our church, this woman in our church, she claims now to be the wife of this man. But legally, she's not. She cannot claim this legal designation of wife. Number one, she can't claim it under common law. Common law would say if you are cohabitating for 10 years or more, then you will be designated as a common law marriage. And it's legally binding. And the courts will recognize it. But not in Missouri. And I explained that to her. I said, you can't even get by with this in common law because Missouri won't recognize it. So they they believe and I knew what was I knew what it was all about this this couple. The guy wanted the ability to leave the relationship if or when he felt that the relationship bond was breaking down between them and he wanted the ability to put her out without her having a legal claim to any of his money or property. On her part, I felt bad for her. I had compassion on her because I understood that she needed a husband to help her get through life. That's how it is. I'm not uncompassionate about this. I had compassion on her, but there are rules that have to be followed. And so she just decided that she'll go along with it and convince themselves that what they're doing without any witnesses, and there's scripture for that too. I don't know to this day, I don't know what the words were that they said. I don't know what promises they made. I don't know anything. Because it wasn't written down. It wasn't. Uh, they were uh, they shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. There have been, in, in America, there have been religious cults who have uh, sought to, um, I, I guess, make it a sin for what the husband and his wife can and cannot do. Uh, David Koresh did that. When, to, when a married couple came into Koresh's compound, you, there was an agreement that said, if you want to live here with, with me in this compound, then you 
let go of your wife. I take your wife. You stand back. And I will produce all the children in this compound. There was, I don't know how many women in that compound that got burned up that had children by David Koresh. But see, he adulterated what marriage was supposed to be. He was going against scriptures in what marriage was supposed to be. And telling these people, telling these guys, listen, you want to come here and live with your wife? That's fine. You want to call it, you want to think of her as your wife? That's fine. But you keep your hands off of her. She's mine. And uh, yeah, anyway, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and we're not ashamed. There have been some people who, who have been told by their religious leader that the husband is not to see his wife or the wife is not to see her husband uh, unrobed or disrobed. That's not true. That is not true. There's nothing in the Bible that says anything about that. In fact, the Bible says in the New Testament, once they're married, her body becomes his, his body becomes hers. That's what it says. All right, now, Moving right along. 2 Timothy. Because, as I said before, we're dealing with not just marriage. We're dealing with the idea of a covenant or a contract. Marriage is a contract. It is a covenant. It is a promise made by two parties. The man says, I will fulfill my oath that I'm making to you in the presence of witnesses. Why in the presence of witnesses? So that the man can't say, "Uh, listen, I never promised I would do that. I never, no, I I never said I was going to do that. Uh -uh, Uh-uh, uh-uh. You got to, ah, no, you're not putting that on me. Or the woman can't say, listen. I ain't obeying that turkey. I'm not obeying him. I, listen, I never said that. No, huh? you heard that on TV. I never said that. And the witnesses say, uh, yeah, you did, Mabel. Mabel, you said that you were going to obey him. Uh, we heard it. Didn't we hear it? Yeah, everybody heard it. Okay? Because we don't remember things or we choose not to remember things. So, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Note this, know also, that in the last days, oh, are we there now? Yep. Perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. That right there is in direct opposition to what a marriage is all about. I was such a young fool. I was. Because I said to myself one day, Mike, you're the only person in the world who can make yourself happy. And and my wicked, depraved, wicked heart was telling myself, that I should seek out only that which makes me happy. 
What an idiot I was. I hate even saying that I thought that. But I did. And boy, was I stupid for doing that. If you're a lover of yourself, please don't marry anybody. Please don't. Don't ruin somebody else's life by abusing them for your personal enjoyment. Don't do it. Uh, in my YouTube feed this morning, there was a news article about a, um, I think it was like a 13-year-old girl. Uh, she was on a camping trip uh, with her parents. She took off on her bicycle and never came back. Well, they um, they got, I think, a ransom note from some guy saying he had her and was holding her ransom. And uh, the cops dusted the ransom note for fingerprints, found his fingerprints, and he'd been in prison apparently or locked up in jail at one time. So they knew who he was, and they went to his house, and he wasn't there. They went to his mom's house. He probably was living with his mom anyway. Down in his mom's basement, sure enough, there he was, and there she was. The guy doesn't want to marry the girl. He's a lover of himself. That's what that's what every rapist, every pervert ever is all about. Every every adulterer and every every um, every teen romance. I had, believe it or not, listen. I, you have to understand. I've been in the pastor's chair for. Well, since 1990, okay, I've seen a lot of things. So 1990, uh, so 2000, that's 10 years. Uh, 2010, that's 20 years. 2020, that's 30 years. And so now it's uh, 2023, so it's like 30, wow, 33 years. That's weird. Anyway, and I've seen a lot of stuff. I don't think I've seen it all, but I've seen a lot. And I had a guy bring his son, underage son, 16-year-old son, and his 18-and-a-half-year-old girlfriend. She's of legal age. He's not. He brings the son to me, and he says, they want to get married. Will you marry them? And I said, let me talk to him for a while. So I talked to... The, the young lady, 18 and a half years old, I talked to the boy, 16 years old. I asked him, I said, I said, are you, uh, are you cohabitating with this girl already? And he said, yes. And I said, tell me why. He said, oh, I just, I, I want to show her that I love her. I said, wrong, wrong, 
Wrong, wrong, wrong, wrong. Wrong! You are... People who do that should be arrested. Yes, they should. You're wrong. I said, you're not... You're not doing this because you love her. You're doing this because you love you. You like it. And you want to keep... And you want me to make it legal. And I'm not... I told the I told the dad I'm not doing it. You're wanting me to legalize what is going on here as a crime here. I have someone who is designated by the law as an adult, 18 and a half years old, who is committing a felonious act with a 16-year-old boy. You want me to legalize it? I'm not doing it. And I didn't marry him. Okay? I'm telling you, I've seen a lot of stuff come in my office. People have asked me a lot of questions. They've asked me to do a lot of things that I'm not comfortable with. All right, let's get back to scriptures. They are lovers of their own selves. They are covetous. Oh, I want that. Oh, I want her. Oh, I want him. They're boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. Here we go. Truce breakers. They break agreements of peace, which, I mean, let's be honest. In marriage, we want peace. We want comfort. But some people, both male and female, want more comfort than what they can get at home. So they break their covenant of peace that they have with their wife or with their husband. And so the Bible says they have a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such, turn away. Then, Romans 1, the 23 things that if you do any of them, you're worthy of death. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, which is the marital act outside of the marriage. Doesn't matter who does what. It's the marriage act outside of marriage. Wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding. Here we go, right here. Covenant breakers. Covenant breakers. What is that? It's a person who holds the hand of a spouse to be and says, I do. Wilt thou love her, keep her, only unto thyself so long as ye both shall live? I do. I, Mike, take thee, Lisa, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. And then Lisa says, 
I, Elisa, take thee, Mike, to be my wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness, sickness and in health, to love, cherish, and obey till death do us part. Yeah, she said the word obey. And I won't, I won't marry somebody, bottom line, I won't marry somebody if the woman doesn't agree to the scriptural uh, commandment to be submissive to her husband. I won't do it. If, the, if, if I ever was approached to do a wedding and the lady said, I don't want the obey thing in there. I would say, ma'am, maybe you need to go see a judge. Justice of the peace or somebody, go on a ship, have the captain marry you. Because I'm not going to. And I won't do it. Uh, without natural affection. Look, look, look at this. That's what happens to marriages now. They're covenant breakers because they're, they're without natural affection. They don't have a natural affection for their wife or their husband. They have it for some other thing. And it's evil. It's wicked. It's wrong. And he says um, not that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Galatians 5.19, now the works of the flesh are, are manifest, which are these. The first four things that Paul mentions here as the works of the flesh relate to marriage. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lasciviousness. All four of those deal with the, the adulteration and the corruption of the marital act. All of them do. Top of the list. First things out of the apostle's mouth that is rampant across this world. It is by the, the blessing of God that he instituted marriage across the whole world. I mean, even the, the savage nations... The uncivilized nations of the world for thousands of years, they had marriages of some kind. They had the, the legally recognized joining together of a husband and a wife. By the way, um, I've mentioned this before. At, um, I love this website, Etymology Online. I love it because I looked up one day to see what the word husband meant. Here it is. Old English, husbanda, male head of a household, master of a house, householder, probably from Old Norse, master of the house, um, householder, dweller, freeholder, peasant, so on and so on, but it's house band or bond. Either way, the one holding things together. 
is the house band. He's the one. He is the stability. He's the rock. He's the oak tree that doesn't move and doesn't. The winds can't blow it down. He's going to work. He's going to persevere. He's going to move forward. He's going to get get her done for the sake of his family. He's going to fight wars for his family. He is going to seek peace for his children to live in times of peace. That's what he's going to do. He's going to enter into agreements and arrangements that will be for the betterment of his family. That's what a husband will do. A good husband. I don't even have to use the word godly husband here. Just a good husband will always seek after the good of his family. He is the house band. The one who is keeping it together. That that day that the Holy Ghost, this was in, um, this would have been 1997. And there was as there was a mean old spirit on me. I mean, it was bad. And I had never felt anything like this. And it was saying, get out, run, go away, move, leave. And I was thinking about it. And the Holy Ghost said, smite the shepherd, Mike, and the sheep will scatter. And it, I realized right then, man, I can't leave my wife and kids. I can't leave this church. The devil will destroy them if I do. I'm standing in a position now, some 36 years later, or no, 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 some 20 some odd years later, Going, yeah, I can see now that he would have. He would have destroyed all of my children. He would have just chewed them up and spit them out. Husbands, suck it up, buttercup. Okay? Now, notice now, right after the creation, right after the flood, right after Adam and Eve... You have Abraham and Nahor. They don't just grab, let's go, hey, Nahor. Let's go down to the tavern, get us some, get us some low mileage chicks there, down there. Some low mileage fillies. What do you say? Let's go get, let's go get them drunk. Let's go just. Have our way with them. Let's, it's Friday night. We've worked hard all week. Come on. Let's go on down there. That's not what they did. Abram and Nahor took them wives. They sought after a wife. Now, isn't it something now? It, supposedly, supposedly, according to the evolutionary theory, supposedly, 
for the benefit of the species, nature, should have put it in us to want to be wandering fruit bearers. You understand what I'm saying? It should be in our nature to seek out as many women as we possibly can to continue on the, the, the race, the genetic line, or whatever. I mean, after all, that's, what, that's how deer do it. That's how does do it. When does go in estrus and bucks go in rut, bucks, bucks will clash horns against one another for territory and for does. And one buck will have several does. And one doe will have several bucks. I mean, shouldn't nature, shouldn't we be just following nature and just going out and doing whatever we can? No, history, history has told us that it's immediately in the hearts and the desires of mankind to seek out not a woman a day every day, one wife. One wife. Now, notice the position, notice the status that this woman named Sarai has. Because she is legally the wife of Abram. Notice the position, that the, the status that she enjoys. Genesis 12, And the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And you know the story. Abram told Sarai, now when we get we're here in Egypt. Now there's strange people here, okay? And I'm afraid that if if uh, if he if Pharaoh sees you, I mean you're pretty, Sarai. You're pretty. I'm afraid if he sees you and knows that you're my wife, he'll kill me and and take you. I'm afraid of that. So when we get into Egypt, you just tell him you're my sister. Okay, you just tell him you're my sister. So, and uh, God, you know, God's already told Abram, Abram, I'm going to bless your seed. But Abram's like, man, I don't know about this. Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that thou hast done unto me? What didst thou, why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidst thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Even Pharaoh, the Egyptian Pharaoh, the Pharaoh, the one who is Ra, the sun god, on this earth, this pagan king recognizes the legality of Abram having a wife and knowing that he cannot steal another man's wife. Why saidst thou, she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now, therefore, behold thy wife. Take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. Abraham and Isaac did the same stupid thing. Same thing after his daddy did. Now, uh, uh, Ray, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Re- Rebecca, uh, we're, we're in a strange land now. Tell the, we're going to tell the king you're my sister, okay, so that he don't, he don't kill me and take you to be a wife. Sure enough, takes her because he thinks, well, she ain't, she ain't his wife. That's just his sister. That's what he said. 
Oh, she's just my sister. So she gets taken, and he's going to like, I'm going to make her my wife. She's pretty, man. She's good looking. And all of a sudden, he finds out that that's his wife. And even a king, as wicked, pagan, sun god, devil-worshipping king, would not break the marital bond that Abram had with Sarai. He wouldn't do it. And Judah, now, I heard a guy say this. He uh, was some kind of uh, youth pastor, or I don't know what he was, down at a youth camp I was at in southern Missouri years ago. He uh, he was one of these guys thought he was smarter than everybody else that studied the Bible and he had it all figured out and everybody else is all wrong you know and he's gonna he's gonna straighten all these kids out so he gets these kids in there and, and you know we're just kind of standing in the background thinking what is he doing and he's telling these kids that basically whoever you commit the act with you're married to and I'm like. Uh-uh. Right here. Right here. Judah, if you remember, he's the, he's the uh, uh, son of Jacob, fourth son of Jacob. Judah took a wife for Er, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. And Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. So now Tamar doesn't have a husband, and she doesn't have an offspring. And so Judah said unto Onan, his brother, Er's brother, go in unto thy brother's wife and marry her and raise up seed to thy brother. Well, Onan, uh, Judah must not been a very good daddy. I can tell you that right now. Because Onan said, I ain't doing that. I mean, I don't mind going into her. But I ain't. Uh-uh. She ain't going to bear my kid. And Onan knew that the seed should not be his, and it came to pass it. When he went in to his brother's wife, that he spilled it on the ground, lest that he should give seed to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, wherefore he slew him also. Then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow at thy father's house till Shelah. My son, why would you name your son Shelah? Judah, come on, man. You got to be thinking here. My goodness. Anyway, till Sheila, my son, be grown. For he said, lest peradventure he die also, as his brethren did. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. So he said, Tamar, just deal with it. Okay? You, I've got another son. He'll be of age before too long. I know you'll be like 15, 20 years older than he will be. But, you know, hey, it's whatever. Okay? So then... What happened? Well, where's the rest of the scripture? I lost it. I thought I had it in here. The story is that Tamar, when um, who was that? When Sheila, the boy, grew up. Judah didn't do what he said he was going to do. Judah didn't say, "Okay, Tamar." Uh, Sheila's old enough now. Come on, marry him, and let's have some grandchildren. He didn't do that. 
So Tamar said, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a child out of this man one way or the other. So when Judah came into town, she dressed herself up as a whore, put a veil over her face, and sold herself. She pretended to be a, a whore. So Judah, his wife died. So, you know, he's getting kind of lonely. He goes into town, sees her there, and he says, I tell you what, I'll, he said, I'll give you a, 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 new, a, a new kid from the flocks. And she said, well, how about, how about you give me a token of your promise? Give me your ring, your bracelets, and, and all that stuff. Give, give all that to me. That way, and I'm going to keep it for, you know, for earnest. And when you bring me the kid, I'll give you these back. Well, three months later, she comes up pregnant. And it's Judah's kid. And Judah's, it was told to Judah that she was pregnant. And he's, I mean, he is ripping mad. I mean, he is like, you know, he's just fuming at this. He said, I want to take her, I want to throw her in the fire and burn her up. It's nasty whore. Go out and have a kid against me? How dare she do that? And she sent the stuff with a messenger and said, Take these to Judah and say, the, the man who gave me the child that I bear right now is the man who wore this stuff right here. And Judah opened the box and it was his stuff. And he's going, oh my goodness. And he basically said, she's more righteous than I am. Now, I said all that to say this. Tamar, even though she was married to Ur, she was married to Onan, she was uh, betrothed to Shelah. Just because she committed the act with Judah, it did not give her the status of wifehood to Judah. Because the Bible says that Judah didn't go into her, into her anymore after that. He didn't, he didn't lay a hand on her. He did not designate her as a wife. So just because two people cohabitate together does not satisfy what constitutes marriage that's just whoredoms fornication is all that is now the bible is clear that wives are given by authority in genesis 24 then laban and bethuel answered and said the thing proceedeth from the lord we cannot speak unto thee bad or good behold rebecca is before thee take her and go and let her be thy master's son's Master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass that when Abraham's servants heard their words, he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And then in verse 57, and they said, We will call. The now, Laban and Bethuel said, You can have her. We give consent to the marriage, not the she's just going to spend the night. The marriage. Um, 
Robert Redford uh, and Will Gear were in a movie called Jeremiah Johnson. It was made back in the early 70s. And Jeremiah Johnson is this guy he's out of the Civil War, and he wants to go live up in the mountains and be a mountain man in the Rocky Mountains. And he meets old Will Gear, who is this old, rough-talking mountain man. And Robert Redford asks Will Gear, you know, he said, you ever, you ever think about, uh, you know, having a woman? And Will Gear said, you mean a full-time night woman? In, in other words, you know, a, a wife? Ah! Anyway, so the idea is she's not just going to spend the night. She's going to spend her life joined with this one man and we don't think that way anymore in this country and that is the shame of america we we are listen i think you need to see how god sees this not how we have gotten used to it when i was young there was all this talk about the divorce rate rising and I thought then, man, it's going to be bad. It's going to get to the point where the divorce rate's going to be, you know, 80, 90%. No. What happened was people just don't get married. Some people. They just don't get married. They just, they just, there, there is no restriction especially on teenage people. And there are, th- listen, we have laws. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break away from this for a minute. We have laws in this country right now against a mature adult committing the act with someone who is younger than the age of we've we've decided 18 is is old enough maybe maybe that's not really old enough and and in some states it's 14 or 15 i don't i don't remember which but clearly clearly there is the idea that a child does not have the understanding, the faculties, the um, the ability to choose a spouse or to cohabitate with someone responsibly. It's the idea that is permeated in our in our legal system that protects children from that kind of abuse. Man, we live in a wicked, evil world. Wicked, very, very adulterous world we live in. Um, so anyway, uh, Laban had to give authority, had to say, okay, she's yours. You can take her. 
Okay, we're going to rejoice in this. We're consenting to this. You can have her. It's given by authority. If you go back to Adam and Eve, was Eve given by authority to Adam? Sure she was. She was created, and then the Lord brought her to the man. In practically every marriage ceremony that I've ever uh, stood over, somebody acts as the father, whether it's the father or somebody standing in that position who brings the bride down to the groom, the bridegroom. And before, before they join hands together, while she is still holding on to the hands of the man next to her who is either her father or stepfather or whatever, um, I say, who giveth this woman to be married to this man? And the man says, her mother and I do, or I do, or whatever. And then he hands her over to the man. It's sanctioned. It's got authority behind it. So in, uh, but, but, for poor, uh, who is this, uh, uh, Rebecca? Yeah. In verse 58, they called Rebecca and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? They gave her the ability to choose. And this is very, very important. Because eventually I'm going to get into the idea of the fact that marriage is all about showing the joining together of Christ and his bride, the church. So Rebecca here is not just some piece of furniture that um, Isaac is buying. It's not just some property that he's getting. In a, he, and I got a good deal on her, too. I mean, she's low mileage. I mean, boy, I mean, she's really good. It's not just property that he's getting. He's not buying a slave woman, guys. And I'll tell you what. I know a, I know that there are some fundamentalist ideas floating around out there that the man is God in the in the family. I'm the king. I, what I say goes, and nobody tells me no, and you better do what I say to you, because it's right there in the Bible. You got to do what I say. I'm the, I'm the boss here. I'm the king. Uh, you better go back and read your Bible. Your wife has got a brain, and it works. Sometimes it works way better than yours and part of your problem is you don't listen you don't listen you don't take advice you're you're like Nabal you're churlish you think you think you're the big man and you slept that gal around make her make her obey you that's how that's how God's man is Tell you what, I got a I got a a stick for my wife. I'll tell you that right now. I'll make her obey me. 
That's, that is not Christ and his church. It is not. Christ loves his church. He gives himself for his church, for his bride. So should the husband, the house band, give himself for his wife. She is a treasure that you have, fellas. She is a, she's a, 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 a vessel of great worth and value and honor. And you should regard her that way. Rebecca had a choice. Wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. And they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said, see the, see the four in here? Oh, you don't. it's not on the screen yet. Hang on a second. Put it right there. See it? She said, I will go. And they sent away Rebekah and their sister. Oh, Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. Four. And they blessed Rebekah, and they said unto her, Thou art our sister, be thou the mother of thousands of millions, and let thy seed possess the gate of those which hate them. That was part of the Abrahamic covenant. But it's given by authority. You can't just take off with somebody Look at each other and say, I love you. I love you too. Let's just stay together. Okay, we'll promise to stay together. Because when it gets rough, somebody's heading out. Why? Because you made it easy to do. You made it easy to do. You didn't want it written down. You didn't want it on a piece of paper. You 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 made up this this nonsense that oh, I don't let the government tell me who to marry, who to who I can marry, who I can't marry. That's, that's that's not the government's part. There has to be if you're going to be in a contract, be in a real contract, not a fake one that you came up with in your mind but a real one, an agreement where it's written down, where you say, I'm going to abide by these terms, and she says, I'm going to abide by these terms, and there are witnesses and signatures and stamps of approval on it so that it's legal and binding. Well, i got to run, but I'm telling you, people, marriage and the, the... the married life, the marriage life is all about learning the ways of God. I realized after our first child was born that I just now became a theologian. After taking three years of Bible college training, studying systematic theology, learning Greek, Learning the doctrines of the ages. When we brought our firstborn child into the world, I grew up 20 years overnight. First night we brought our our firstborn home, Lindsay. Lisa laid her on the bed to change her diaper before we retired for the evening, and Lindsay stopped breathing. 
We called her parents over. We were panicking. Lisa was crying. I was shaking. And God basically hit me with a big two-by-four board and said, Mike, grow up. I've now placed somebody under your care and custody that depends on you for what she eats, where she sleeps, and the very air that she breathes now. You're responsible for it. Don't ruin it. And I did. I mean, God God woke me up. But it made me a better theologian. I understood now who the father and the role of the father was. Okay? All right. Well, let's see here. Let's get some happy music going here. There we go. Good to be with you today. We'll continue this uh, Thor's Day, the Lord allows. Be praying for us in our ministries. We're going to do a feeding this week. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Shout. Where's my shouting? Here we go. We're going to do a feeding this weekend. So pray for us and pray that God will bless. And uh, pray it won't cost a, a filthy fortune. Good grief. Everything's so high right now. God bless you. I love you. We'll see you.